Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right, uh, there's little Josh Allen. There it is. There it is. That's what I thought we were going to see. Debo Samuel getting injured, the shoulder that was first damaged against the Cleveland Browns earlier this year. The spark of a three-game losing streak when Debo Samuel wasn't available, one of the key players that the 49ers need to have. Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the team, announced on Monday during a conference call that Debo did not suffer a fracture in his shoulder They should have a better idea of his availability on Wednesday. Others have characterized it as 50-50 as to whether or not he's going to play. Way to go out on a limb. It's 50-50. That's safe. 50-50. We're all (laughs) 50-50. So Debo's 50-50. We'll see whether or not he's going to play on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And one of the realities of the San Francisco 49ers, you got a core of key players. If one of them gets injured or more than one or more than two, with each with each additional guy who gets injured, you have a bigger problem doing what it is you're trying to do. They still won on Saturday night without him, but you need to have him. You need to have him. You need to have McCaffrey. On offense, you need him, McCaffrey, Trent Williams, and Brock Purdy. Keep those guys healthy, and you should be fine. Uh, once they start getting injured, that's when the 49ers no longer look like the 49ers, Shereen. Yeah, you know, he missed those three games, and the 49ers lost all three of those games without him. They averaged 7.1 yards per play with him, 5.7 yards per play without him. He makes a huge difference to that offense, Mike. And you could see it when he went out. He went out in the first quarter. They weren't the same team after that. They managed to win, and they managed to get it done without him with Jawan Jennings and, and Conley, Chris Conley making big plays down the stretch. But they really need Debo Samuel, and they need him bad. Uh, these the next two games, assuming they win the NFC Championship game, then after that, they need him. Now, I think they probably need him less against the Lions, perhaps than some other teams, just because I don't think the Lions' defense is quite as good as some other teams, but they still need him. He just makes such a big difference to that offense, 
and the way they operate, Mike, and just gives them that additional weapon that teams have to worry about. It's not just Brandon Ayuk and Chris McCaffrey, which is what it is, and George Kittle, but he gives them that fourth weapon so you can't double all those guys. And when he's not in there, it just makes it so much easier. Not that it's easy, but it makes it easier to stop those other three guys that you need to stop because you don't have that fourth guy that you have to worry about. And you mentioned Brandon Ayuk. Look, he's really emerged this year. Second team All-Pro didn't make the Pro Bowl somehow, but he's another key piece. And one of the reasons he thir- uh, flourishes and thrives in that offense is because so much attention is paid to Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. And it's amazing that they found a way to pay all these guys and hold it all together. It helps when your starting quarterback is on a slotted rookie wage scale contract as the last guy taken in the 2022 draft. They can't even sign or consider signing Brock Purdy to a new contract until after the 2024 NFL regular season. On that note of Purdy and his status, and we think back to the offseason. He suffered the serious elbow injury in the NFC Championship game when he was hit early by Hassan Reddick. There were questions about whether or not he would be healthy. There was an assumption all along they get it fixed. He'll be fine. He'll be good to go. But, but the 49ers still considered other options. And this is one of those... And it doesn't happen very often because there are so many people covering the NFL now, so many people covering the teams, so many people covering the league on a all 32 team basis, looking for the big stories that can be breathlessly reported on Sunday morning pregame shows, literally breathless at times as the person just, you know, you try to spit it out. It's so, you know, in a way that it's the biggest news we've ever heard. And. Wouldn't it have been an ideal? Think back to week one. And week one has become the day where the Sunday morning pregame show, and I can say this because I'm on a Sunday night pregame show, but the Sunday morning pregame show crowd has stuff that happened in the offseason that we didn't know about. And there's always one or two. Now, sometimes it's old news that they repackage or the person just didn't realize it's old news. That happens. And sometimes it's something we really didn't know. Remember when, I think it was 2020, Tom Brady's first game with the Bucks. they were playing the Saints, and the Sunday Splash breathlessly delivered report was that the, the Saints considered Tom Brady when it looked like Drew Brees wasn't going to play, possibly, when he was considering retirement in 2020. They, were, they wanted Tom Brady, and maybe if Drew Brees came back, they were still thinking about Tom Brady. That was the week one Sunday splash report. Well, this year, it would have been perfect for any summer all of the Sunday morning, Sunday splash crowd to tell us that the 49ers tried to get Tom Brady to be their starting quarterback for 2023. That would have been perfect. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Week one, week two, through week 18, through the wild card round, and it wasn't until Nick Wagner of ESPN.com was doing an interview with Brock Purdy that became one of these long reads that that we all say, oh, great, long read, and nobody reads it. And what happens? Five, 6,000 words. Now we read it if there's news in it and if that news gets trumpeted. This was news that was buried at the bottom. I'd love to know how in the hell nobody at ESPN in the crafting and editing of this article realized that they had a bombshell that they buried near the bottom. Brock Purdy telling Nick Wagner that Kyle Shanahan told him 
If we can get Tom Brady, we're going to try to get him. That he was going to be the starter. And if not, it was going to be Brock Purdy. And Purdy's attitude was, yeah, he's the GOAT. I get it. But sometimes deep down, something inside of me was like, dude, I just showed you I can play well in this system and we were one game away from the Super Bowl. So, I mean, you know, it gave Purdy a little bit of fire. It gave him a little edge. It gave him a little motivation. But, he, and this isn't unnamed sources. This isn't I'm told. This is Brock Purdy telling Shireen. I, you know, you were on the text chain yesterday when MDS discovered this thing and sent it to us. And he was like, what the hell is this? And we said, what the hell is this? How does it like how how does something that nobody knew about that is that significant involving Tom Brady being brought back to the team he grew up rooting for three years after he knocked on the door and they said nobody's home when he wanted to play for the 49ers in 2020. That was his first choice in 2020. How does that stay unknown? And then how does it get buried at the bottom of an article that I skimmed through it. There was otherwise nothing in there that anybody would have cared about. That's yeah. the thing people would have cared about. I don't get it. Do you understand? Do you have any way to help me understand how that happened? No. And I, you know, I know when you have an assignment on a long read that you're trying to fill words and get it in. But when you got that quote, you know, you, you've got to make that your lead of your story or pull it out and make it a separate story. To me, it was that big that you make it a separate story apart from the long read that you're writing on Brock Purdy. And I blame the editor as much as I blame Nick Wagner for saying, hey, you got this great quote here. We didn't know this. You know, we need to do something with this or we need to rework the lead or whatever it is. But, yeah, it was news and it was news that was buried in a story and it shouldn't have been. And and I would guess that uh, Nick Wagner is well aware of that now and regrets that he didn't make that the lead or pull it out and make it bigger news. And. It was like nobody was talking about it until we wrote about it yesterday. So, um, you know, I I find it interesting that they went after Tom Brady. They did need somebody because they weren't certain my because the surgery kept getting pushed back. Uh, and it finally happened for Brock Purdy in March. It was late that that it happened and he didn't start throwing till late May after that. And he started that build up. So there was some uncertainty about when he's coming back, how many games is he going to miss? Is he going to be there for week one? If he's not there for week one, when are we going to get him back? They hired to hire. They had to have a backup plan. and But we all thought when they signed Sam Darnold, like that was a backup plan. Well, that was the backup backup plan. They actually talked to Tom Brady, we find out now, to see if he would come back as the real backup plan. And it wouldn't have been, let's say that Brock Purdy's not ready to go in week one and Sam Darnold starts. Well, Brock Purdy's going to regain the starting job whenever he comes back. It wouldn't have been like that with Tom Brady. Tom Brady would have kept the starting job until he was hurt or whatever else happened or finished the season or whatever else happened. But Brock Purdy would not have regained that starting job if they had signed Tom Brady. Yeah, Brady was plan A, Purdy was plan B. Purdy said so. And it's funny when you tweet this story, and I understand that we're in a, an air fryer society, but it's amazing how many people, through their responses to a given tweet, make it clear that they did not read the story. Because like, oh, you're just making stuff up. No. If anybody's making stuff up, it's Brock Purdy. Because Purdy said it. On the record. Purdy said it. And I have yet to see any claim that Purdy was taken out of context. That it was a joke. Like Matt LaFleur. <laughs> 
saying that he says a prayer every time Anders Carlson goes out for a kick. That was a joke that was taken out of context by Tom Rinaldi. So uh, I haven't seen that. And and look, we we when I saw this, and you know, part of what you develop, and you hope you can trust it, is a sense of what is newsy, and you have to have a good sense of what people are going to be interested in. I immediately saw this and said, this is something people are going to be interested in. We need to make a big deal out of this. And we made a big deal out of it. And later in the day, Kyle Shanahan had his press conference and nobody asked him about it. How did nobody ask him about it? And and Brock Purdy will talk this week. Will he be asked about what he said to Nick Wagner? Is that what you said? Care to elaborate? Anything more to add? Shanahan will be talking again later this week. I, I just think that, and again, we're not here to kiss ass. We're here to keep it real. I... I didn't think of this angle until today. I'm going to start here. It's possible it was buried in the Nick Wagner item on ESPN.com and they didn't make a big deal out of it that would have become part of the churn for the studio shows. I mean, you know, they were too busy focused on the Cowboys last week anyway. But remember I said how week one, that's the perfect time for the Sunday morning pregame news crowd to tell us stuff we didn't know about that happened in the offseason and that happens kind of makes their main guy look bad that he didn't know. Their main guy who went to Michigan where Brady went. Their main guy who's got deep connections to Don Yee who represents Tom Brady. Their main guy didn't know. He went all season not knowing. If you make a big deal about it now, it kind of makes him look bad. And there are very real internal politics. When you're paying the main guy almost $10 million a year, you're not going to do anything to make the main guy look bad. Maybe that's Occam's razor here. Maybe that's the simplest explanation. That it wasn't just Nick Wagner doesn't have the sense to realize he's sitting on a bombshell and he buried it deep under his seat. Or that the editor didn't realize this is pretty big news. This is something we can make some hay with on the various ESPN platforms. Maybe at the end of the day, they just didn't want to make Shefty look bad. It's Interesting, Mike, that this didn't get out before now. I mean, you think about how long ago this was that they talked to Brady and where we are now, and nothing stays a secret that long. So it is amazing that this never got out. And for whatever reason, Brock Purdy decided to talk about it this week. Whenever he talked to him last week, I guess he talked to him. Whenever it was that he that he talked to Brock Purdy and and Brock Purdy chose to to deliver this bombshell, as you said, and I think it is. Um, but you know, nothing stays a secret that long. So I, I don't know how or why or like nobody got wind of this. Like it, it's really interesting that it just stayed quiet this long. And one of the reasons it may be staying quiet, and it could be the product of, and look, when you cover a team, and Shereen, you did it, and I'm I'm trying not to be pejorative here. I'm trying to be realistic. When you cover a team, there are certain deals you have to make. There are certain when-in-Rome realities you have to follow. If you want to have maximum access to the people you want to talk to, you don't want them to be pissed off at you. And it's possible that the beat writers who cover the team knew about this. They're not asking about it because they know Kyle's going to be pissed at him if they do. Because... This isn't just something that's a bombshell in the rearview mirror. It potentially becomes something that can unfold in a negative way for the 49ers going forward. It creates a distraction if it's something that becomes a big talking point as they get ready to host the Lions in the NFC Championship game because it speaks at some level to a 
a potential lack of faith in Brock Purdy being the guy. All season long, he was the guy. He was brink of the MVP conversation. And then he has the meltdown against the Ravens on Christmas night. No MVP for Brock Purdy, but he's still the guy. He's the guy. Why don't more people believe in Brock Purdy? That was a narrative that they fought against all year long. Why do people not believe more in Brock Purdy? What's the deal with this? Why isn't Brock Purdy regarded as a top quarterback? That's been one of the big talking points this year. Well, now you find out they wanted Tom Brady, 46-year-old Tom Brady, instead of Brock Purdy to be their quarterback this year. So, with the stakes getting higher and higher each week, and when you consider that on Saturday night, Brock Purdy was not Joe Montana or Tom Brady or Steve Young. What if he has a bad game? What if he has a three-interception night against the Lions? What if they get to the Super Bowl and he has his meltdown there? What does it mean for 2024? Do they recommit to Brock Purdy, who will be entering the third year of his contract? Or do they try to sign the guy that they saw have the best game of his career against them on a Monday night, six days before he tore his Achilles tendon? He's going to be a free agent. And Kirk Cousins has been tied to Kyle Shanahan for years. So I'm not thinking Tom Brady next year. I don't think they're going to revisit that after he's been out of football for a full year. Even if he would say, hey, you know what? I set out for a year. I'm ready to play now. Can I come back? They'll probably say no. But, but, will they say yes to Kirk Cousins? Will they pursue Kirk Cousins if Brock Purdy has one of those crash with a thud end of the season games that just creates enough doubt to say, if we finally want to win a Super Bowl, maybe we need to let Brock take a a step back and go after somebody who we think is more likely to come in and finish this job. Without the Tom Brady story that was buried for a week that came straight from Brock Purdy, we don't have that conversation. With that story out there, Shireen, that becomes fair game. It makes what Brock Purdy does on Sunday, it may, if, he, if he has a three or four interception day, it, it makes it a very viable talking point into the offseason. I don't think there's any possibility that they move on from Brock Purdy, that they go out and find another quarterback. But you are 100% right, Mike. I This opened up the question of what happens if they don't go win the Super Bowl, and it's because of the quarterback, whether it's in the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl. It does open the door to that question. So, you know, I, I think that Kyle Shanahan, even if no one answers, probably needs to address it if, in fact, Brock Purdy's going to be their quarterback next next season, no matter what. And if that's the case, I think he needs to come out and say, look, we're committed to Brock Purdy this season. We're committed to Brock Purdy for next season, regardless of what happens, regardless of how he plays. I I just think that needs to be addressed by him. And maybe it's done privately to Brock Purdy. I don't, I don't know, but there are going to be questions if Brock Purdy plays poorly and they lose about I mean, because we saw it with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's exactly what happened. They finally decided to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo after they couldn't win the Super Bowl. So I think all those things together, when you take all that evidence, it is going to be a question. Again, I don't think anybody but Brock Purdy is going to be the quarterback of the 49ers next season. But because of this and because of what happened with Jimmy Garoppolo when they couldn't win the Super Bowl and he was so bad in the fourth quarter that they decided they needed to move on from him eventually – that I think it is going to be a legitimate question if Brock Purdy doesn't play well. As somebody who 
always roots for good stories, good meaty stories that have layers and levels of intrigue. I mean, this this one item opens Pandora's box in a variety of contexts at ESPN, within the press corps covering the 49ers, and most importantly, within the 49ers. And as Chris Sims would say, when you ask him what's in Pandora's box, a whole lot of Pandora. That, that was an actual answer for him. That's, yes, uh, Pandora's box containing Pandora, not uh, whatever was unleashed onto the world, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm at the point now where I've been dealing with Sims for so long, I forget the details of what was in Pandora's box. I will refresh my memory during this next break when we return. Is the window closing for the Buffalo Bills? We heard from Josh Allen yesterday, and we'll give you some thoughts on where things stand in Buffalo when PFG Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Do you worry about the window of opportunity for this team? No, not at all. Why not? Um, you know, I believe in the in what we've got going on here and, and the people that are in charge. I believe in myself, um, and that will never change. Josh Allen believes the window of opportunity is open. I believe in what we have going on here, and that will never change. And look, confidence is a great thing to have. You have to have confidence to survive in the NFL everybody has confidence but sometimes the confidence is misplaced and this gets back to something Chris and I were talking about yesterday I wrote about it last night if you are the owner of the Buffalo Bills do you owe it to yourself to the franchise and to the city it represents to at least go through the mental gymnastics of whether or not one of these big name coaching candidates out there a Jim Harbaugh a Bill Belichick a Mike Vrabel even a Pete Carroll could come in and get you over the hump while you have years left in the Josh Allen prime. That's the real question. You got six years out of Josh Allen and one AFC championship, and it isn't his fault it's only been one AFC championship. What do we have around him, and do we just run it back, same old, same old? Do we keep doing what we've done and expect different results? And are we okay with that? Hey, I said this about the Vikings a few years ago. I felt like for their organization, being just good enough 
was just good enough. We're in the conversation every year. We make the playoffs every other year. I mean, the Bills are making it every year. They get into the divisional round. They got to an AFC championship. We're exciting. We're interesting. We're on national TV. We're making a lot of money. You know, if we try too hard to go the rest of the way, that could blow up and we could lose this sweet spot we found where we're a team that's relevant every single year. That's the the analysis. And I'm sure that Bills fans would all say, let's go all in. Let's go all in and win. Let's get one of these better coaches, one of these guys that would be an upgrade over Sean McDermott. They'd be an upgrade over most coaches. This isn't a knock on Sean McDermott. And I feel bad even saying this, but the way I reconcile it, Shireen, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, the coach and GM of the Buffalo Bills, on a constant basis are evaluating their roster and deciding who should be on the team, who shouldn't be on the team, who should be playing, who shouldn't be playing. And it's all under the guise of the best interest of the team. So that same analysis fairly applies to them at some point. Should they continue in this position, or is there a way to make this team better as we spin our wheels at the divisional round and can't bust through to the Super Bowl? It's a fair conversation for ownership to have. The question is, will they do it? And if so, if they have that thought, if they have that deliberation, will they actually make a change to a team that is among one of the best in the NFL? I always love when players say, you know, oh, our window's going to be open for a while and, you know, we've got all these chances. There are no guarantees in this game. You know, you look at what Dan Marino did early in his career. Same same thoughts. Our window's going to be open for a long time. We're going to win many championships here. Everyone's saying Dan Marino never won a championship, obviously, with the Dolphins. There are no guarantees that Josh Allen is going to win a championship with the Bills. There are no guarantees that they're ever going to get it done. Only the Chiefs and the Ravens have more regular season wins since Allen was drafted in 2018. He has 58, and, and that ties the Saints for the most without reaching the Super Bowl. So what are you going to do to take that next step? That's what they need to be evaluating. It, is it the coach? Is it something else? Is it just the talent level? Do we need more talent? Do we need If we do, what positions do we need more talent? What's keeping us from going on and winning the championship game? And frankly, getting past the divisional round has been a problem for them. As you said, Mike, only one AFC championship game appearance. So what's preventing us to get there and, and then get over that hump to get to a Super Bowl? That's what they've got to spend this next week evaluating. What's going to get them that next step that they need to take to, to get there and whatever that is, whether it's a new head coach, whether it's new personnel, whatever it is, they've got to figure that out because again, no guarantees that they're ever going to get there, but you know, you have the quarterback or you think you have the quarterback to get you there. He hasn't proved yet, obviously that he can get to a super bowl, but you think you have the quarterback in place. So what is it that's keeping you out? If you have the quarterback in place, And I feel like some of these organizations, they're fearful of taking a step back in their effort to take a step forward. So we don't want to risk where we are by making a dramatic change and pivoting to a different coach. But but again, again, I'm, 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 you know, Sean McDermott, I, I feel bad for him. He probably assumed he coached his way out of that situation where it felt inevitable it was going to be over after they lost to the Broncos with the extra man on the field. We felt like the Bills were 
circling the drain for 2023. They won six out of seven down the stretch. They ended up the number two seed. They ended up the AFC East champions. There are a lot of reasons to say we should do this again next year. But what are you going to do differently to get beyond? I've said for years, it's almost better to not be on the porch at all than to be constantly knocking on the door and not able to get it to open. Because there's a point where it just becomes, there's a fatigue. When your fan base loses, there was a guy bawling in the stands after the game on Sunday night. I mean, grown man crying like a little kid. When you go through that despair every year, every year, it really is. I mean, the the fan bases following the teams that didn't make it to the playoffs or that lost in the wild card round, they see the losses that happen in the division round, and you know, thank God we're not going through that. So it hurts. The higher you go, the more it hurts. And I think every year that it happens, the more it hurts. And Fire McDermott was trending last night on Twitter, unless they're talking about Dylan or some other McDermott who's in, in hot water. They're talking about Sean. And, you know, the Bills fans, they just want to finish the job. They've been waiting more than 30 years to finish the job, and they have a quarterback that they believed was going to be the guy to get the job done. It hasn't happened. So we just generally keep an eye on Buffalo because the ingredients are there for something, especially when you've got this array of great coaches that you could hire any of them and say, maybe this is the guy that gets us over the top. We're going to take a break. Regret meter for some of the teams that lost in the divisional round, Bills and others. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. What went into the decision on the fake punts? Yeah, I just just felt like we were having a hard time stopping them. And uh, they were up three at the, at the time, I believe it was, and um, wanted to be aggressive. You know, you only get one chance. And so I wanted to be aggressive. Obviously, it didn't work, but, but you... But you it's a decision I made, and you live with it. So, I'll, you know, then we, you know, made fortunate enough to make the stop there, which, which got the ball back for us. Sean McDermott uttering the word that gets every coach out of trouble when they do something risky. I was just trying to be aggressive. What's the response to that? What's the response to that? You know, aggressive, yes. Reckless is the other problem. You can be aggressive and not reckless. And in a situation like that, I still don't understand. If you're going to run a fake punt on fourth and five, why not just leave your quarterback out there? Don't you have a better chance at converting when the quarterback drops back to pass, surveys the field, and if nothing's there, the six foot seven inch Josh Allen, who is very fast and explosive, takes off and gains the five yards. To me, that's better. And I understand element of surprise and whatnot. It blew up on him. And but for the fumble out of the end zone, they would have been down 10 points with about 13, 12 minutes left in the game, and it would have been very hard for them to even have a chance to make it close. Tyler Bass wouldn't have been the GOAT. The GOAT would have been Sean McDermott for calling that fake punt, Shireen. So um, on a scale of 1 to 10, if they were telling us the truth, how much do you think the Bills regret the fake punt? I think probably... Eight, but it should be a 10 because it was not the right decision, obviously. And, you know, these types of plays, you go back to Sean Payton calling for the onside kick in the Super Bowl. These types of plays are what make coaches geniuses or dummies. And I think this made Sean McDermott a dummy. Now, the Chiefs had 10 players on the field, so I just assumed that this was a call at the line of scrimmage, and I read long snapper Reed Ferguson say, no, 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 this was called from the sideline. This was Sean McDermott's decision when we went out there uh, to, to 
go with the fake punt. So I'm with you. You leave the quarterback on the field. You leave Josh. We just talked about Josh Allen being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, giving you a chance, and you take the ball out of his hands in a most crucial situation when you decide you want to be aggressive and you put it in DeMar Hamlin, who barely has played this season, Mike, to, to make a play, to pick up five yards. I want the ball in Josh Allen's hands at that point. And if we can show that again, it is amazing that the way it was executed, you can't have hesitation yeah. on that play. Terrible. You're not dancing like Le'Veon Bell to pick a hole. You just have to go. And you can see that there's, there is that, you watch, there's kind of a stutter step here. See, he's kind of like he's cutting back inside. No, you just have to go. It has to be set up from the get-go that that's what you're going to do. And you have any doubt about the ability to execute that play, just leave Josh Allen on the field or punt the ball so it blew up on the bills and again they would have been down 10 but for that weird moment at the end zone where the ball was fumbled by Nicole Hardman out of the end zone and the bills got it back and ultimately obviously as we now know the bills lost the game but I think they should I, I, I think because we are so wired now to accept quarterbacks going for it on fourth down in their own territory when they do a fake punt when they just should have left the offense out there it's harder to forgive that kind of a decision, whereas 10, 20 years ago, we would have been, oh, you can't leave the offense out there. If you're going to do anything in that situation, it's going to be a fake punt. All right, here is Todd Bowles from yesterday, the Buccaneers head coach, on the defensive approach that was used against Lions quarterback Jared Goff. You'll hear the question and the answer that Bowles provided. Have a listen. When you look at these two games against the Lions, Jared Goff wasn't affected as much as you probably would have wanted to be in terms of getting sacks and pressures and then didn't throw an interception either. It's just kind of a situation on defense where you try to play coverage, rush forward, didn't get enough, or if you blitz him, he's really taking apart one-on-one matchups. No, we did a little of both. I mean, the biggest thing was the underneath coverage. Like I said earlier, they, they didn't get as much. They got out late. Going into the fourth quarter, you know, we held them down pretty good. They start making some plays in the fourth quarter, give them a lot of credit. They got a lot of talent. Some things we didn't do as well in the fourth quarter that we did well the first three quarters. But he's a great quarterback. They have a very good football team. And, and you know, the better team won yesterday. Goff was blitzed over half of his dropback passes. He was able to limit pressure with quick throws. He averaged 2.51 second time to throw and was pressured just five times against the Blitz. That's courtesy of Next Gen Stats. He wasn't sacked on any of his 24 dropbacks against the Blitz. It was his third game with at least 20 dropbacks and zero sacks this season. So, how much do you think Todd Bowles regrets the defensive approach to the Lions and Jared Goff, scale of 1 to 10, Sheree? Well, I think probably a five, but I think, again, it should probably be a ten, considering he could not figure out the Lions and Jared Goff in either game this season. Regular season, he passed 75% completion percentage, 353 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Playoff game, 76%, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 287 yards. I mean, he just abused the Bucs in those two games, one in Tampa and one in Detroit, obviously. This is a quarterback who was blitzed the second most in the NFL this season. He handled it great against the Buccaneers. It should not have been something they should have done the second time playing him, knowing what they knew the first time playing him, but they couldn't get 
to him, Mike, on a four-man rush. Only two sacks the entire game. So, yeah, I think they should regret that. And I think Todd Bowles also should regret what happened at the end of the game, not getting the ball back for his offense when he had an opportunity there with the clock running down. Yeah, didn't want to delay the inevitable is what he said yesterday. It's a 10 across the board because you've played this team before, you've lost to the team. Why are you going to do the same thing you did in the game that you lost? And they still had a chance to win. And this idea of the not calling the timeout, not taking advantage of any – look, the fans want you to do everything in your power to win the game. And even if it is only a 0.1% chance that you're going to win the game, it's zero if you don't try. And – Bowles is safe. I poked around a little bit yesterday because you wonder if somebody who loses in the divisional round could be in trouble, especially with this Dan Canales thing or Dave Canales, Dan, Dave, Dave Canales thing we were talking about earlier. Bowles is safe, but that's the kind of thing that can make you not safe. Why would you not do that? Why would you? We don't know what the alternate reality is. If you call that timeout and maybe something goes your way and maybe you force overtime and maybe you win the game. So very confusing, very surprising from a team that overachieved this year here is Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur from Monday talking to reporters about play calling on the last drive that ended in a Dre Greenlaw interception. Here's LaFleur. I think that's an area that we, we certainly got to improve on a little bit is those end-of-game situations. Um, you know, Jordan and I have talked about that. Just what we're calling, what we're asking guys to do, you're always going to look at yourself first and be critical on yourself and making sure that you get the right plays dialed up for the guys and um, making sure just that communication so we're, everybody's on the same page. Um, never want to surprise guys with, with a call or anything like that. And um, I think that's an area of, of our game where we can certainly see some improvements moving forward. Did you have full use of Aaron Jones on that drive? Because he said on that long run he had kind of uh, tweaked his hamstring a little. Did you even know that? That was not known to me, which is probably good in the moment. <laughs> you know, look, I think what's going on here is Matt LaFleur is trying to provide a little bit of cover for Jordan Love for the Brett Favre-style play that he made because they were moving the ball. Whether you like the play calls or not, they were getting themselves in position. It was just when it came down to it, after they converted this first down, they're on the 37. They needed to get to about the other 37, and Jordan Love gets flushed out to the right. He makes the bad decision to throw back across his body. Dre Greenlaw picks it off if he hadn't Fred Warner would have. I don't know if that's play calling, but I think it's LaFleur just saying, we can't put guys in a position where they might do something they shouldn't do. He's taking responsibility for creating the circumstance that led to Jordan Love trying to play and playing quite well the role of Brett Favre in that moment. So I see what he's saying, and he also doesn't want one moment to take back the vibe and the sense of progress they've had with Jordan Love this year, but you know, I don't know. How, a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think he should regret the play calling on the final drive? I don't think at all, Mike. I think it was Jordan Love making a bad decision on the field on first down. You always live to see another down, and they had plenty of downs. They had plenty of time. There was no reason to make that throw, and it was a Brett Favre-esque throw that he made back across his body. And 
It was intercepted. So I don't think that Matt LaFleur should have any regret about his play calling. I don't think he did have any regret. It was just Jordan Love making a bad decision that cost him an opportunity, Mike, to get in field goal range and kick the field goal. It was so uncharacteristic of what we've seen from Jordan Love this year, and I agree with you. I think that it should be very low, one or zero for Matt LaFleur. But the coaching point wasn't drilled into Jordan Love's head, apparently, in a moment like that. You're out of the pocket. All you got to do is flip the ball past the line of scrimmage, and it's second and ten. And, you know, that's what happens in those big moments. You feel the pressure. You're hyper-aware of the circumstances. Do you rise up or do you fall? And he fell in that moment. He did something he shouldn't have done. He called it a mortal sin, throwing it across his body like that. And it wasn't close. It was going to have to be one of the best throws we've seen all year, if not all decade, for that ball to get to Christian Watson. And it wasn't even remotely close. And again, if Greenlaw didn't intercept it, Warner would have. Let's take a break. When we return, will Joe Flacco be back with the Browns in 2024? We'll discuss that next year on PNC Live. We'd absolutely love to have Joe back. He's a good, you know, good quarterback. And um, but I guess maybe a little bit similar to, um, you know, Jacoby last last year. It, it it really it depends, right? Like I want to bring all of our, you know, our good players back. And um, you know, but but you know, there are constraints to that. Um, I'm really kind of both sides of the aisle, but uh, would have no problem having Joe back. Deshaun's progressing well. Um, he's doing um, you know everything in his power in terms of rehab. Um, he's coming along well. Do feel really good about him. Happy with the, the progress that he's, he's made within our organization, both on the field and off the field. Um, and we're looking forward to getting him back next year. You know, we think he's going to have a really big year and have a, uh, have a ton of confidence in him as our starting quarterback. Andrew Barry, Cleveland Browns general manager on both Joe Flacco and Deshaun Watson. You know, for as much of a wild card, Shireen, as the Browns were entering 2023, they're going to be as big of a wild card next year. They had a special season, 11-5, and five, fifth seed in the AFC, blown out in the wild card round by the Texans. And now back comes Deshaun Watson, year three of his, of his massive contract. If they're ever going to get a return for him, it's got to be this year. A lot of pressure on a team that overachieved this year. A lot of pressure to deliver via Deshaun Watson in 2024. Boy, there sure is, Mike, and a lot of pressure on Deshaun Watson. He's played a total of 12 games in two seasons, obviously had the 11-game suspension in 2022, and then this year had the shoulder injury, um, went 5-1 and one as a starter. I, I, I find it – we always debate what ironic is, but I, I find it ironic – um, that that the Browns gave up on Baker Mayfield after he played through a shoulder injury. And facts are, if he hadn't played through that shoulder injury to his non-throwing shoulder, perhaps he would have remained as the starter of the Browns. But that's when they made the move to go out and get Deshaun Watson, who then had the shoulder injury that took him out last season. So they can't seem to get over shoulder injuries in Cleveland to keep their quarterback healthy. But Deshaun Watson's got to stay healthy 
and got to play well. And we just haven't seen either of those happen in his two seasons in Cleveland. Mike, even when they're five and one, he has seven touchdowns and four interceptions. And I don't think he played overall as well as Joe Flacco did for the Browns during the regular season. Flacco turned the ball over some, but he did the things to win games that they needed him to do. And, and so they need a lot more out of Sean Watson going forward. Now, look, they didn't have Nick Chubb for most of the season. He suffered a serious knee injury week two Monday night in Pittsburgh. They made it work with Kareem Hunt and others the rest of the way. The, and who knows if they'll have Chubb back next year because he's got a big salary, may have to take a, a significant pay cut to stick around. Bottom line, though, is they have to get more from Deshaun. They paid him so much, fully guaranteed. They could pay him and not play him, but who really wins if you do that? This is all about getting the most out of Deshaun in 2024, and there's going to be pressure on everyone to make that happen. I don't want to say Kevin Stefanski is going to be on the hot seat, but... I don't know what happens if Deshaun, like I thought in 2023, if Deshaun Watson goes wire to wire and the Browns are just a failure, maybe they'd try to find a new coach for 2024. If this year coming up, Watson stays healthy and he's just not good enough. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they would just bite the bullet for the final two years of the Watson deal. I don't know if they would try to engineer a way to avoid the guarantees and move on. I don't know what they'll do, but this is the year that Watson's got to step up or step off the Cleveland Browns because they learned they could win without him and I feel like they're not going to be inclined to to tie their own hands in a situation where they could just move on to to a younger quarterback a cheaper quarterback and just deal with the the cash charge and the cap charge and just move on from Deshaun Watson Shereen yeah I agree with you Mike they gave up so much to get him three first round picks the Texans still have the Browns first round pick this coming year and so you know they gave up a ton they gave him a ton of money and they just haven't gotten the return so far so it's put up or shut up time for Deshaun Watson and for the Browns frankly for for giving up so much to get him now so they they need a lot out of him this season more than what they've gotten they also Mike I think they need to sign a veteran quarterback to have a backup plan just because we haven't seen it out of Deshaun he had the shoulder injury. They only have him and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who they gave up on as the starter, obviously, in signing. I know he had the concussion, and that's why they signed Flacco. But nonetheless, they haven't seen enough out of Dorian Thompson-Robinson to know that he can be a legitimate backup in this league. So they do need to sign a veteran backup, whether that's Joe Flacco, whether that's somebody else. I just think they need another quarterback there ready to play. Bring back Jacoby Brissett. That would be my recommendation, but yep. fortunately, I'm not calling the shots for the Browns or anyone else. Let's take a break. When we return, some coaching news from around the league, including the clearest indication yet that Nick Sirianni will be back in Philadelphia. That's next here on PFT. The Eagles have not announced and will not announce that Nick Sirianni is returning as the head coach. The belief there is that functional organizations don't need to tell the world that their head coach, who won double-digit games, is returning. Take that, Dallas Cowboys. The only thing we're getting is an announcement from the Eagles that Nick Sirianni will hold his end-of-season press conference tomorrow. Now, I am surprised that they managed to kick the can nine days after their exit from the playoffs, 
I think there was some stuff going on last week that they just as soon weren't ready to put Nick Sirianni in front of reporters. And this was really smart. Sharina kind of took some of the steam out of the room, this idea that Sirianni was inevitably going to be out. And now tomorrow he and GM Howie Roseman will meet with reporters and answer a few questions. I assume one or two of which will deal with Sirianni's job status moving forward. Well, and no coaches are going to be on a hotter hot seat going into next season than Nick Sirianni and Mike McCarthy. I mean, NFC East coaches who are under fire now, they do get to return and they get to try to get over that hump and, and, and prove that they're worthy of keeping their jobs next year. But they both face huge seasons, Mike. And, and you know, with Sirianni, the two coordinators leaving, you do wonder how much was Sirianni – them going to the Super Bowl, and how much was those coordinators? Because, boy, they missed both of those coordinators this year. They're going to have two new coordinators next year. Whoever those guys are need to help Nick Sirianni save his job because they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Which makes it harder to hire the best coordinators because they know coming in the weight of the world that will be on their shoulders. You get, for a second straight year, Two new coordinators. If it doesn't work out this time, everybody's gone. And even if you have, you know, buyout under your contract or whatever, you still don't want to spend this year in that market where there is that intensity, that urgency to get another Super Bowl win. And they had a taste of being elite this year when they were 10-1 and before it all fell apart. It's just a bad situation. And they're trying their best to keep Nick Sirianni out of the hot seat or at least to minimize the impression he's on it. He clearly is going to be one of the shortlist guys. When we approach the 2024 season and we're asked inevitably who's on the hot seat entering this year, you're right. Mike McCarthy, Nick Sirianni, right out of the gates. No question about it. Now, two coordinators need to be found. They haven't officially moved on from Brian Johnson yet, but we all assume they will. They have moved on from Sean Desai. Reportedly, Ron Rivera the former commander's head coach and Panthers head coach before that, a two-time coach of the year, took a team to a Super Bowl, will interview to be the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, proving that Rivera was telling the truth when he said he still wants to coach, and I credit him for that. And I credit Nick Sirianni with the willingness, if he hires him, to bring in somebody who's got a lot more experience than he does because sometimes it's helpful to have someone like that around when things are going tough and you need to figure out what you need to say to the locker room to get everybody pointed in the right direction again. Yeah, they've gone with these young coordinators two times in a row, and now they're looking at the more veteran guy uh, in Ron Rivera. And I think that would be great for Nick Sirianni to have somebody to bounce things off of, to have Rivera not be scared to say, that's not what we need to do, or you need to do this, or can I suggest this, or how, whatever it is. I just think it would be great for him to have that voice and that ear uh, for him. They're also interviewing Mike, Mike Caldwell, uh, former Jaguars guy. It, it, it's interesting because Ron Rivera runs a 4-3 and Mike Cod- Caldwell runs a 3-4. So which direction are they going to go? I think the defensive coordinator hire will tell us how they're going to work this defense going forward. But they've got to get to the quarterback better than what they did last season. Led the league two years ago. Couldn't get to the quarterback this year. The numbers are astounding. The difference in numbers. When you said Ron Rivera runs a 4-3, I thought, damn, that's fast for an old guy. But then I understood <laughs> what you were talking about. Um, by the way, by the way, as we're having this conversation, Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer has tweeted that Brian Johnson will not be back as the offensive coordinator 
of the Philadelphia Eagles to no one's surprise. So Nick Sirianni and the Eagles will be hiring two new coordinators. And yes, Jim Bob Cooter's name was mentioned over the weekend, which is odd because he's the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis. You get into these weird things like if they're willing to let him go, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement of Jim Bob Cooter. If he's under contract with the Colts to be their offensive coordinator, they're like, yeah, we're fine. See you later, Jim Bob. Not necessarily a great thing for the Philadelphia Eagles, but a lot of pressure on Nick Sirianni. Pressure in Chicago as well on the new offensive coordinator, whoever it may be. Reportedly, they're working on a deal to make Shane Waldron the new offensive coordinator. He'll either be the new mentor to Justin Fields, or they'll be bringing in Caleb Williams or Drake May, possibly with the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah, I I think this is a really good move for the Bears simply because of what we're talking about, Mike. This could be a one-and-done type deal. So for for the Bears, I think this is about as good as they could probably do in getting Shane Waldron. I don't know it's a great move from Shane Waldron because it puts pressure on him, obviously, to – win right away especially if it's Caleb Williams you got to win right away with a rookie quarterback so I I, maybe he didn't have any other options I don't know but it seems to me that there would have been better places possibly to go where you could have tried to stay and establish yourself there long term but a lot of pressure is going to be on Shane Waldron this year all right, uh, absolutely right, and we'll see how it works for the Bears as they move forward, either with Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Sunday's game between the Buccaneers and the Lions generated 40.4 million viewers on average for NBC and Peacock. It also marked the end of the 2023 NFL season on NBC. Now, we're not going anywhere. PFT Live will be around. ProFootballTalk.com. The door is never closed. But for NBC, the season is over. So what we do this time of year, when it's time to drop the curtain on the NBC NFL coverage, we will do a little split, 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 yeah, easy for him to say, split screen, where we give you some of the best sights and sounds from the 2023 season on one side. On the other side, we acknowledge all the folks who bust their asses all year long to bring you NFL coverage on NBC. We appreciate everything that everyone does. Again, This is just the end of the NFL season for NBC, not for PFT. We're not going anywhere. Thanks for some of your time today. Enjoy the next few minutes. We'll see you Wednesday. Better get your popcorn ready. It is now the home of the three-time champions. Welcome to Kansas City and welcome to the start of the football season. Deep in the distance, it's Las Vegas. Welcome to the 104th season of the National Football League. Sunday Night Football, everybody watching. Ram Gano, the veteran, 36 years old. Great breakthrough by Thomas, who blocked it. Noah Ekmanogany stays inbounds, and the Cowboys special teams gets the first score of the year. The We Love Rodney chance already coming down. Jack, I tell you, man, it feels so good to be at home. I love it here. Miami 17-3. They get the ball to start the second half. They turn it at halftime. Go get him, Mike. Hustle in there. We won't pull a hamstring, I promise. <laughs> we mentioned all the stars in the house tonight, including Carrie Underwood. We invited her into our production truck with Drew Essikoff, our director, and Rob Highland, our producer. Carrie, between them, watching. How Carrie Underwood brings us on the air every Sunday night. It was pretty cool. And I know we're expecting company tonight. That is not the one, but it sure does look like it. Lexi looks just like it. Security around her. Mahomes escaping again. Mahomes got the first down and goes down inbounds before the touchdown that will end the game. 
Third and two. Ernie got a blunt. Throws end zone. Hat trick. Kittle's first three touchdown game of his NFL career. Now there's a guy who's getting married. Would he have done it? If, if the Cowboys had won. Sure I don't think have. so. We were pretty good back then. I was going to say, but what happened in that one game? One game, Jacoby Brissett starts, torn UCL ligament in his thumb, but he's still really beaming. <laughs> Tua fires left side for the end zone. Tyreek Hill touchdown. The timing of Tua and Tyreek do it again. When you see the Kelly Green, Jason, what, what, is, what does it make you feel? Yeah, nightmares. <laughs> Those guys are ridiculous. It's off imitated, but nobody does that play like Philadelphia. Nick Sirianni is like, I don't know, it just always works. Why not go for it? Tonight, a night to appreciate two very good football teams, the talented people who share the field, and life itself as we celebrate DeMar Hamlin being here this evening. Zach Wilson throws in traffic. It's picked off by Robert Spillane. Spillane taking off. He's down at the 40-yard line. And the big mistake of the big moment happens again. Happy birthday, miss. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I am with Drew Essikoff, our director. You guys put me in the front, and I lost my birthday hat. It disappeared. After the game, it didn't work out. The showers weren't working in the locker room for both teams, and DeVito said at first the hot water was done, then there was no water. He didn't get in the showers, but I told him, he can take a nice hot shower when he gets back to Mom's house. <laughs> McCaffrey comes left. That door is closed, but he finds a way through. And McCaffrey twirls to the end zone for the touchdown. What a run. When you get uh, two screwdrivers and a lot of blood, <laughs> then you know you got a great running back. Look at this guy. He's got the whole bird. <laughs> he's on the move. Oh, he's going to throw it to the crowd. Don't throw the knife, though. Jackson seeking the back of the end zone for the touchdown. The rookie Zay Flowers. Oh, bouquet toss. Here come the Chiefs. Pressure's on. Love throwing. End zone. Watson. Oh, did he catch that? He did. Love actually. Forget that. Love absolutely. Maria, so excited for you and John. We love you guys. Congratulations. Can't wait to meet little man. And don't worry. He is going to be taller than you. Get this plane. This is ridiculous. Coming over here. Okay, you got a sack, right? Uh, no problem. I, I missed him. I'm going to go get him again. Get him again. No, just throw it up in the air. And then let's have like, like go between two guys. Stop it. Look who's got the place going. Blowing the Gallahorn. Kirk Cousins with the chain without the shirt for the sensational pregame atmosphere here in Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> Has some space. Takes off. Look out, Hardy. Gets a block downfield. Hardy's going to go. Nobody's going to catch him. Deontay Hardy, 95 yards. Tonight, inside Ford Field, it's the first home playoff game since 1994 for the NFC North champion, Detroit Lions. Fourth and a long yard. Goff looking to throw. Throws back of the end zone, Laporta! Touchdown Detroit again! And Detroit for the first time in 32 years. Your Lions have won a playoff game. Have at it. Who else but St. Brown? Hey, 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 man, what a play. The Lions are one win from making the Super Bowl. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.